All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> hey, this is Julie. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Welcome to HR Wonder Women with Wendy and Anne. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the latest edition of HR Wonder Women. I am your host, Wendy, and with me as always is Anne. Hello, Anne. Hi, Wendy. Glad to be back with you again. Yeah, um, we are recording our final episode of 2019, which um, I can't believe we've made it a whole year, Anne. Actually, more than a year, but... More than a year, but yeah, this year has flown by. Yeah. It has, but I'm um, I'm excited that uh, we are closing out the year with um, Julie. And so, uh, as we do um, kick off every episode, um, sharing um, how we identify. Um, you know, we we're talking about intersectionality and feminism on this show, and uh, always want to share um, how we identify so that. We personally um, and our guests and listeners understand the lens through which we see the world. So we'll kick off with our um, uh, with uh, how we identify. So I am Wendy. I am white, straight, cisgender, female, Christian, and non-disabled. How about you, Anne? Um, pretty much the same, right? I am a, a white, straight, cisgender woman, non-disabled uh, Christian. Yeah, pretty much exactly the same. And I, I just, again, I mean, there are certainly other ways that I identify in the world. But when we're really talking about intersectional feminism and, you know, and how people show up, I think it's important that we're both acknowledging the privilege that we carry um, because we can't, um, if we don't acknowledge that and explore that a little bit, then we, then we just continue to see the world through those lenses with no, um, with no thought behind it. And so we want to intentionally name those things so that we can um, broaden and expand the way we see the world rather than have those things limit us. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I, I love that we started off this way and, and kick it off this way. Um, so that, since we have shared, um, I think it's time for us to bring on our guest, Julie Sowash. So excited. Um, been listening to her for a while on her podcast, Crazy and the King. Um, but we'll talk about that as we get into the show. So Anne, I will let you introduce our guest tonight. Very good. And um, just before I do that, the one thing we forgot were pronouns. Um, my oh. pronouns are she, her, hers. Yes, we did. How about you, Wendy? Um, mine as well. She, her, and hers. Great. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I am excited to introduce Julie Sowash. Uh, once again, we have a guest that I have not had a chance to talk to before, so I'm really looking forward to tonight's conversation. Um, but let me tell you about Julie. In her role as Executive Director, Julie leads implementation of programs and solutions with disability solutions clients. She supports the build and deployment of strategic solutions by first assessing current outreach, hiring, and retention systems, policies, and processes, which impact a company's ability to successfully engage and retain qualified job seekers with disabilities. Julie and her team work with numerous Fortune 1000 brands, including PepsiCo, Synchrony, Metadata, DB, Schenker through PNG, American Express, Aon, Aramark, Metadata, and many others. Julie is also a person with a disability. She is actively managing multiple mental health disabilities. 
Julie is the co-host of the Crazy and the King podcast, a real take on diversity, equity, and inclusion in our everyday lives. She regularly speaks at state and national conferences and provides training on compliance and disability inclusion to a variety of audiences. Julie has her undergraduate degree in political science from Indiana University, and she lives in Columbus, Indiana with her husband, children, and their rescue dogs. So welcome, Julie. Uh, we are so excited to have you this evening, and I'm going to jump into the very first question. We know that intersectionality matters. It's the reason we do the podcast, and we all have many different ways in which we identify, and different parts of our identity matter more in some spaces than others. So when thinking about this particular conversation, how do you identify, and also what are your pronouns? Sure. So thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my name is Julie Sowash, and I am a female, cisgender, straight, mother of an LGBTQ child, and a person with a disability, and also Catholic. I, I forgot that part. And I, 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 my pronouns are, sorry, this is a lot of information. My pronouns are <laughs> she, her, and hers. And I'm very, very happy to be here. Awesome. Well, again, we are super excited to have you. And um, yeah, we ask for a lot of information up front, don't we? <laughs> um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. We need to get, we're trying to normalize that conversation around it. So um, yeah, welcome to the show. Um, and recently on your show, you announced that you are the new executive director at Disability Solutions, which is fantastic. Congratulations on that. Um, tell Thank us more you. about Disability Solutions and what that organization is all about. Sure. No, thanks for that opportunity. So Disability Solutions is a national non-for-profit, and we are really disability and inclusion as a service. And so that means we work directly with um, big brands, a lot of times federal contractors who are ready to be the forerunners and the, the first adopters in enterprise-focused hiring and retention initiatives for talent with disabilities. So we may help a company with strategy and brand and all the way to advertising and outreach and even sourcing and recruiting. We've helped the companies that we work with hire about 2,500 people with disabilities over the last few years. And our motto, which is really important to me, or our mission is to change minds and change lives. So we really think that corporate America and the leadership here are going to help drive the social change that really impacts our civil rights journey as people with disabilities. And that means being a part of the workforce and having the opportunity to be successful in such a major part of, of American life, which is having a career and being able to provide for yourself and your family. And so that that's what we do. I'm blessed every day to get up and, and do what I love and um, help some people get back to work and, and change a lot of minds and, and frankly, save a lot of lives because people have purpose. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and I feel like um, that's a great segue into our third question, and, and you've already kind of touched on it. So um, when I was stalking mm -hmm. you on social media, um, uh, you are an advocate for people with disabilities, um, mental health, and then also for diversity, talent, culture, and inclusion. So talk to us a little bit more about that intersection of disability, mental health, culture, and inclusion. Yeah, so this has been kind of 2019 has been a big year of learning for me. and I. 
I think you both set it up so nicely when you introduced the show is that we need to normalize conversations and we never need to kind of rest on our laurels about who we are and what other people bring to the table. And so in, in 2019, I realized that as a, a white woman, a white woman, um, that I was experiencing some frustration with women who were different than me, women of color, women with of color with disabilities that were facing different journeys and not being patient and listening to those journeys and understanding that in order to be a real ally and to be a real advocate and understand how we work best together, that I had to step out of my comfort zone and have a lot of, of discomfort to help support my fellow women on, on our journey for inclusion and, and a fair voice in, in this country. And in that, I really had sort of this epiphany moment about the intersectionality of disability. And, and my thought process, again, has always been we're stronger together. I recognize that in the disability community, mental health is the one that we really don't talk about. And so I think in ways that I was kind of conditioned to say, let's just talk about all of us because I don't feel comfortable talking about me and my community. And so I stepped back and I said, let's pull out the demographics. Let's make a map of what this community really looks like. And when I started to really understand the vast amount of diversity in disability, I started to see those different stories so much more clearly. And so when we talk about how do we identify our struggles, our differences, our opportunities, I, for me this year, I really focused on understanding how no one is a, a single struggle or a single identity, just like you laid out for us in the beginning. And so I really invested time in helping the community to helping the employer community understand what those differences mean and how impactful it is to be able to bring our whole selves to work. And whether that's a woman who's straight with a disability or a woman of color who's um, straight with a disability, visible or invisible, and that impacts our journey so differently. And, you know, I, that just me that's really changed the way that i approach this work and i think that torin my, my podcast host has really helped me and we've challenged each other on some of our own biases to say we're always changing and we're always getting better because this issue of intersectionality can be the barrier to forward progress because we're not listening to each other or it can be the opportunity that really opens up minds about how different everyone's journey is and how critical it is to allow people to bring their whole journey and their whole person into our lives and into our workforce and value that engagement. Yeah, I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that, yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's true that there's, we each, we all have a different story and we need to help each other um, tell those stories because you don't know where someone else is at. Um, and all there's so many um, invisible ways that we identify 
we need, again, just normalizing that conversation. So I appreciate you sharing um, your struggles and, and journey because that's, that's what we're doing here is <laughs> we're all on a journey together. Um, and, you know, and we, you talked a little bit about um, education. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit and how can, um, you know, we are HR pros here. Um, how can we provide our managers with the support and education so that they can in turn support their staff who have disabilities, especially these invisible disabilities? Um, and what can we be doing to make our organizations more inclusive so that employees with those invisible invisible disabilities feel safe to disclose that disability and get the support they need? Yeah, so it, that's a fantastic question. And it's so meaningful. I think a lot of times as HR leaders and TA leaders, we focus on um, how to make an impact from a DNI perspective by supporting the Awareness Month and, and having conversations during a certain time of the year or providing training um, at certain times of the years and trying to integrate that conversation. I think where we get a little hamstrung, especially around the disability conversation, is there's a lot of traditional kind of legalese that is surrounding disability in the workplace. So um, how do I get you to self-disclose? How do I get you to self-ID? When you ask for an accommodation, you know, the managers hit the panic button about, oh, how can I how can I do this? And now I can never fire a person because they've got all these protections and everything is is very scary and very legal. And we need to stop that. We need to stop that conversation in. Yes, we have to have legal protections for our business. That's important. But when we're managing a person and we're engaging a person, we need to focus on what their strengths and weaknesses are and how we can support them to the best of their ability in the workplace. And that's especially challenging, I think, with invisible disabilities because I, I have to be comfortable enough to talk to you about what you can't see. And if I'm already struggling in my performance or in my relationships at work, which are become so critical to who we are, then that already sets me up for failure. And so what we do a lot with, with leaders and, and especially new people leaders um, is we focus on, on kind of constant engagement, constant communication. So first we need to reduce the fear and stigma. Um, how do you interact with a person with a disability, hidden or, or not hidden, so that people become more comfortable because I think we avoid situations naturally where we're not sure how to behave. And so if we can give people comfort with, okay, I know like at least the two or three things I'm supposed to do when I'm engaging a person in a wheelchair or a person who has a mental health disability. And then that needs to happen all the time. And we need to be able to see people at work doing their job with disabilities. And so awareness can't just be that one month or the conversations can't be just when we need to have an accommodation or there's a performance management issue. It needs to become a part of who we are as a culture, as a company. And you may know this, but only 4% of the Fortune 1000 include disability in their DNI programs. And so really when companies are saying they're diverse, they're diverse-ish because they've left out the largest 
diversity community in the country and also in the world. And so we've got to start to break through those barriers and make disabilities a part of who we are as a workforce and as a company and make sure that we're living those diversity and inclusion values in earnestness and authentically and not leaving out what we're not comfortable with or is, it can be a little scary. And I'll close with, with this piece from an education perspective. One thing that I've learned as a leader is that people get promoted to leadership because they're good at doing. And when we don't teach our leaders how to lead, that is that creates challenges and obstacles for every person within an, an organization because we need to teach people how to lead as companies. But for people with hidden disabilities, that creates a, a, a big additional challenge to being successful in the workplace because universal best practices around how to teach a person um, with a cognitive disability or an anxiety disorder or a processing disorder will help you be a better leader overall. And so we encourage companies to start teaching people who are leaders how to train differently, how to understand how people learn differently, whether it's visually, whether it's through action, um, how to break down a big project or a very small set of tasks into easy to understand lists or, or, or activities so that it can be repeated. With, with my disability in particular, I have a really hard time breaking a, a project down into its finite pieces. I'm great at strategy. I'm great at identifying um, what the problems are. And then I know the end solution, but it's the how do we get there? And I had a really great leader for the past seven years who taught me how to take the bite of the elephant one at a time. And those are common leadership practices that we need to put in place, but we don't understand how incredibly impactful they are for a person with a cognitive disability or a mental health disability in being successful at that position. And there's a patience that goes with leadership that we also need to talk about that's important for, for all of our employees, but especially for people with disabilities, is that we shouldn't expect perfection the first time. And as very busy people, we lose our patience a lot, myself included, but we need to put in practice different ways to help our employees become better and to become fully engaged in, in their ability to perform perform in our organizations. And that's going to support all of your employees, but it's going to make people with disabilities that much more successful in your organization. Yeah, I really love that. Um, I've been doing a lot of exploring around the idea that um, we should we should design at the margins. And when you design at the margins, it's better for everyone. Um, and so I love that concept of if you if you are learning how to lead and you're really thinking about um, what would make it, what would make my training or my leadership or, or whatever it is that I'm trying to do that involves other people, what would make it work for, um, for people with cognitive difficulties, like you said, or for people with mental health issues or, or whatever it is, you know, you think about who would need the most um, 
I don't know. I don't know if like help is the right word, but who who needs the most like thoughtful approach to this? But it's not like somebody else is going to lose out because you have a thoughtful approach to what you're doing. Everyone benefits when your approach is really thoughtful um, and making sure that it's meeting the needs of everyone. Yeah, and I, I think if you think about it in a in a little bit different, if I can shift the the paradigm just a little bit, but not think about what people need in terms of support. It's in how do I get the most? How do I help build my teams up to to be able to live right to their most successful potential? And when you think about it as opportunities to build more successful teams, it feels a little I think for me, a little more authentic and a little bit more exciting. We're not talking about the negative. We're talking about the positive. And so what are those things on the edges, right, that cause the innovation that that allow us to bring the entire team up? And that team will include people with disabilities, but it's also going to perform include extremely high performers who may have disabilities of their own and you just don't know about it, but also are going to feel much more a part of a team and understand process and engagement in an entirely different way. Yeah, I really like that that perspective. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, <laughs> gosh, I feel like we could stay on this particular topic and and go further and go deeper. Um, but but um, but we are bound by time, so uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us on to the next question. Um, and uh, you probably will have a chance to touch on this again with this question. Uh, you're coming up on your one year of podcasting uh, with Twan Ellis on Crazy and the King. So, talk to us about what you're doing with that podcast, how you got started on the journey, how it's going. But yeah, what is what is it that you um, both are really looking to do with this? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, so this has been just the, the, the most phenomenal year, um, for me professionally and my, my partnership and friendship with Torin is such a huge part of that. And so the, the story is a little funny on how we got started. Um, he and I met actually about, um, a year and a couple months ago at a Disrupt HR event. And, we just kind of clicked very quickly, had a great conversation and said, hey, let's connect later. And he invited me on SiriusXM when he was on the Karen Hunter show for um, National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And so that's that. That was great. And my husband, who also has a podcast called uh, The Chat and Cheese Show, said, you know, you and Torn have really unique voices and, and unique perspectives. You should have a podcast about DNI. Like you've got a chick with a disability and a, a man of color who's a veteran who's like out there and loud and proud. You guys are doing it. You should talk about it. And I think Torin and I were both a little hesitant, not because we didn't think that each other had really strong voices and things to say, but because we didn't really understand kind of like what is this gonna commitment look like, and for me, it, you know, it, it's crazy in the king. And people ask me a lot of times, like, why crazy, Julie? Like, I don't get it. And one thing that I think is really important for people with disabilities and our community and mental health in particular is that we take back the labels that people have put on us and we make them our own. 
And so I have embraced that I'm a person with a disability, that I will live with mental health disabilities for my entire life. And what I've been told in being crazy or unstable or any of those things is that's a label that someone else has put on me. And I'm taking that label back. And and Torrid has an equally as good story on that side. And so we decided, hey, let's try this out. And it's been incredibly cathartic because as professionals, we really have to kind of toe the line a lot of the times during the day. And in Crazy and the King, we get to be our authentic selves and share our stories, but also talk about the big DNI wins and fails that we see on a daily basis and help drive education for DNI leaders who and, and just regular HR pros and TA pros about conversations they're not comfortable having yet. And so we are actually just wrapping on our first year too. And we are committed to go into 2020 together and really grow the podcast and grow our reach, but also the, the other voices that we're bringing on much in, in the way that you all do interviews is we want to hear from the other people in our world and help raise their voices as well. So it's it's a total blast. I thought I would hate it. I was not like thinking that my my husband had the best idea, but he actually did. And, uh, and we're having fun. That's awesome. I, I absolutely adore your guys' show. I think you have great chemistry. Um, <clears throat> so obviously your husband was very um, smart to get you guys going on that. Um, he is. I do enjoy his podcast too, but we're not talking about guys here. We're only talking about women. So um, <laughs> um, I love the, the stories that you're sharing and, and uh, you guys keeping it real out there for sure. Um, I think that's awesome. So thank you. looking forward to what you guys share in 2020. Yay. Um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to like see you thank guys you. in 2020 as well. Um, yes. We're um, planning on it. Exciting stuff. Um, so Julie, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of the HR social hour. And that is our question connection. Um, but because we are talking, um, about women and feminism and uh, all of that fun stuff, we have a little bit of a female twist to it for um, those who listen to the regular show. Um, but we do like to talk about networking because that's what we're doing here. We are networking and getting to know folks. Um, so tell us how has networking helped you in your career and what's been effective for you? So networking is something that's actually really hard for me. It's very easy for me to sit on a podcast and have a, a very um, honest and, and great conversation with, with you ladies right now. But when I'm in those social settings, my, my disability does kick in. And so networking is something that I've really struggled with. And I have had to force myself outside of my comfort zone through a lot of repetition and a lot of engaging. And so you know, what's been really effective for me in overcoming some of those, those fears that I have as a, as a woman with a disability, it ha it actually has been, um, with coworkers knowing who, you know, when we go to social events, know that, Hey, if I'm quiet, there's probably some, some anxiety happening right here. And I'm not quite sure, um, that I'm going to be able to engage and they'll help me come out of that shell. My husband actually does a fantastic job as well, um, really helping to get me to have those conversations. And I think the one thing that I've really learned is 
is as women, we are not vocal about what we've done. We're not vocal about the impact and the accomplishments that we've made in in our world and, and in our lives. And so I'm forcing myself to feel a little egotistical, I guess, in, in my networking and being very proud of, of what we've accomplished, what I've accomplished, and not to be um, ashamed or embarrassed to kind of, you know, to my hor- own horn every once in a while, for lack of a better saying. And that's been really impactful for me because I see how people react um, both me, male and female, and it's it's not bragging. It's normal. It, it's talking about what you do, and that's really built up my confidence and my ability to engage in networking much with much less anxiety and much less kind of fear of of mucking it up. Um, and when I do muck it up, because sometimes I do, I, I just kind of do a debrief with a, a, with a friend, with a colleague, with my husband and say, how, how could I have done that better last time? I thought that I was really vibing with, with this networking event. And then I was maybe came off a little too aggressive. And so I try to learn from every one of those events so that the next one is better. I love that you take that as a learning opportunity and not like a reason to beat yourself up, but just, oh, okay, this didn't go quite how I wanted it to go. What lessons can I learn from that so that the next time I'll have a chance? You know, like life is so full of do-overs if we just look at it that way. Um, So I really appreciate that outlook. I also really appreciate you talking about how – I guess as women, we're kind of socialized to be so modest, and it can be really uncomfortable to talk about the good things that you've done um, and just like own your own accomplishments. So I appreciate the you know the the personal work that you've done to become more comfortable with that because I think that's great modeling for other women as well. Um, um, and it's just speaking about other women. What women uh, do you read and follow for professional insights? That was a really awkward segue. Sorry. <laughs> um, all good. I'm all about the awkward. So I, Sheryl Sandberg has been a, a big one for me, I, I think, as she has for a lot of, of women. And while I don't feel as positively about her as I did a few years ago from from some of the the things that are happening at Facebook, I, I do really think that the way that we support other women in the workplace and sort of some of that radical candor that she was willing to um, put out as a leader for the females on her team has helped me to be a better leader and to identify when it's okay to, to stop talking, uh, which doesn't happen a lot. And then Anna Wintour, the the chief editor of Vogue, is also another big kind of inspiration follow that I make because, again, just she owns her space and she knows who she is and she's not apologizing for it. And that confidence is something that we have to carry as women that we don't always get modeled by other women in the workplace. And so I really try to kind of emulate that, um, 
that compassion and that caring, but also that standard of, hey, this is how things are happening. And, and I know who I am, and I'm not going to say sorry for that. What is your favorite movie that features a strong female cast? <laughs> so I'm a total dork. Um, I love the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and so I, I think the last couple of Avenger flicks have been really, really fun for me because we did have a strong female cast who didn't fight over a man, who stood by each other and supported each other and recognized that they they were stronger as a team than they were individually. And so, yeah, I, I totally, the last two Avenger movies. Totally agree. We're big fans here, too. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so what about a favorite female musician or band? Um, so I'm kind of an old school rap girl. So I'm going to say TLC is probably my favorite female band. Um, they're my age <laughs> a little bit, but they're, they're pretty badass. <laughs> Good choice. I have not thought about them in a long time. So may have to pull those out tonight. Yeah, and it really doesn't show anything <laughs> about your age because to me that's still new music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I'm actually uh, when we're when we're driving to a church tonight, we might have to listen to a little TLC. Why not? Um, there you go. <laughs> how about a favorite favorite female protagonist in a book, or just favorite female fictional character? Uh, this one is tough. Um, so I, I think that, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to say Captain Marvel. I'm just going to stick <laughs> in the dorkiness. Um, you know, again, I think there's a theme here that we're getting with, with the women that I admire is a, a no BS, um, knows her place, isn't, uh, isn't standing down because she's a, a woman and, and, taking a backseat to a man in any situation. And, and so we'll, we'll go with Captain Marvel. I'm going to, you know, I'm okay with that. She, that was one of my favorite movies this year. Um, that was great. My daughter's a huge fan. So we're, we, we love Captain Marvel in this house and I can't <laughs> wait for the, uh, I can't wait for the next movie to come out. I'll be honest with that. I'll be so. there. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to tweet afterwards. Exactly. <laughs> So that's one of the things you like to do outside of work. Um, but but we, <laughs> but what else do you like to do outside of work? We we like to ask this question. Um, partly, it's just a, you know a fun chance to get to know you better. But also, you know the the um, one of the reasons we do this podcast. Elena Valentine says, you know, the shortest distance between two people is a story, and I think that it can be easy um, when we when we tend to like move in professional circles and what we do publicly is, is a lot about the work to stop seeing each other as three dimensional full human beings. And so it's just nice to share the things that you like to do outside of work um, that just make you a whole person um, because it, it makes the professional stuff that you're doing and like the DNI stuff that you're doing and the disabilities advocacy work that you're doing that much more impactful when we see the real person that's doing the work. So with all of that, what do you like to do outside of work? Uh, oh my goodness. Um, so I, I love to swim. It's kind of my Zen place. So I try to do that when I'm not traveling a lot. Um, my, my husband and I love to go to concerts, uh, 
Again, dorky, big, big, big Dave Matthews fan. I've seen him over 50 times in in my life. And, (laughs) and, and I'm a a big traveler. So Chad and I travel a lot. We're, we're blessed to both work from home and to have, um, a conference schedule that lends itself to some work and some fun. And so I really enjoy when we are traveling together for either reason, work or or pleasure to build an itinerary that is um, very engaged in the city that we're in and making it feel like, hey, we're just locals here. What what do the locals do? What do we want to see while we're here? And so travel over the past several years has really become um, a a huge passion and has opened up the world for me in in a new way. Yeah. So, yeah, like Anne said earlier, I I wish we had all the time in the world because we could keep this conversation going on so many different levels. Um, Yeah, (laughs) definitely, Julie, we have to find each other sometime this year and sit down for a glass of something and just chat because, yeah, Dave Matthews, Captain Marvel, travel. (laughs) um, And then we could talk about real stuff, too, getting into the disability and that conversation as well, because there's um so much more to to be shared there but um as we talk about a lot on the other show this is really just a taste and so i know others will want to find you and uh, chat with you more about this topic as well so um please share how our listeners can find you online yeah so you can find me at linkedin on linkedin at julie so wash um twitter handle is the same at julie so wash no no spaces or anything uh, you can always feel free to reach out on facebook and if you want to visit our website we're at crazyintheking.com or at disabilitytalent.org awesome how about you ann uh sure you can find me on linkedin uh the best place to find me is twitter my handle is at ann tomk a-n-n-e-t-o-m-k um and you can also possibly find my blog it's uh the road less puddled and i talk about um my own spiritual journey and a lot of my um racist screw-ups as i'm exploring the anti-racism work and you can find me on twitter i am wendell 93 um, or on my blog mydailyjourney.com um don't forget to listen rate review share this episode with others to spread the word about hr social hour and hr wonder women and join us the fourth sunday of each month on twitter uh 7 p.m eastern time for the hr social hour twitter chat So thank you both for joining me tonight. Thank you so much, Julie. Um, I loved uh, the conversation tonight. Thank you, Anne, as always, for joining me. And uh, for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast and HR Wonder Women, this is Wendy. Now go tell your story.